we all want our businesses to grow. And today, one of the best ways to grow your business is if you concentrate on value creation. And you're probably thinking, Don, what are you talking about? Value creation. It's when you can offer solutions and information to your clients that will help them succeed. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to buy your product or service, but you're going to help them. You're going to give them information that will help support them to achieve their goals. My guest today is Nick Martin. Nick Martin is the founder of Wine Owners. And before he started that, he was in the B2B space working with Axiom and Reed Publishing. And that's where he was able to pave that path to success with his new venture, Wine Owners. But before we get started, my name is Donna Peterson, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Excellence Podcast. I go around the world talking with business owners and marketing directors about their industries, about their companies, and what marketing they see is working. All these tactics and tips are things you can use to help you reach your marketing goals and achieve success. So let's jump in. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Very well, Donna. Thank you for inviting me. Good oh, to see you. Good to see you. It is a pleasure to have you because we met so many years ago when you were the managing director at Reed. And so that- yeah, it was a while ago, huh? It was a while ago. <laughs> it was a, it was a while ago. 20, 25 years ago? Oh, my goodness. Five, at least. I'm not that old. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. But, so we met when you were the managing director at Reed. And at the time, well, why don't you tell us, what were you doing at Reed? And how do you feel those experiences at Reed helped you scale this platform that you now have for wine owners? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, so I was running a I was running a, a data division within Reed. So Reed being a, a, a large global, I guess, publishing and exhibition business back in those days. And I guess it was, you know, also grappling with the internet, grappling with the threat of Google, grappling mm -hmm. with the idea of sort of how it needed to um kind of go online and and kind of retool to be more of a digital business mm -hmm. um which is easier said than done when you know you've been printing paper and magazines since you know the uh, dot yeah. um you know the mindset's so different if you um, weren't back then you know you don't understand like exactly what you're talking about how there was such a switch from print to the digital world right oh yeah and 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 a, and a lot of businesses didn't make it and a lot of titles didn't make it right. um you know it, people were used to a different form of deadline a different way of writing a different you know blend of content so um a lot of those a lot of those properties within that you know huge Fortune 500 business um, didn't survive, and some did, which was which was which was exciting. Um, and um, 
So to answer your question, what did I kind of, you know, what did I take from that that I kind of took with me on the journey into um, uh, building wine owners? Uh, I, I guess the thing that probably underpins a lot of what that business was doing was kind of deep market specialism. You know, it was it was it was largely B two B. People were really into the detail of the market that they were in. And then, you know, at the beginning of that kind of digital explosion, um, I think the thing that hit home for me was how successful businesses that migrated online were using data um, as the building blocks of their digital proposition. And that, you know, it was is either it was big data or it was highly specialized data, it didn't really matter. Yeah. The same thinking kind of applied, which is yeah. how do we leverage data in order to, you know, drive, I don't know, operational efficiency? How do I how do I use data in order to um have a common language um to enable uh, businesses to work together within a network more effectively, the idea of interoperability. Um, uh, or or even, I mean, these days, probably the words, were, this this word wasn't being used back then, but, but these days, how do I use data and those building blocks as the basis of an ecosystem, which is super mm-hmm. exciting and interesting in, 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 a, uh, um, in a digital world? Um, so, so I think I think you know those are, those are some of the things that I took with me, um, which are relevant today. Um, yeah. Twenty 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 kind of twenty five years on, I guess. Yeah, you know you're right because when the digital explosion happened, it opened up so many new advertising channels for us so many different places that companies could start to promote themselves. And it's all great to have so many different channels so you can do a nice cohesive strategy, but that's where sometimes companies get caught up on what is the right strategy for my particular brand. And so it's very interesting and I'm sure your knowledge that you gained at Reed gave you some insights on those correct channels for you to utilize. So wine owners, why did you start that? Why, what was, I know you have a passion for wine. Yeah, I think I bored you, didn't I? Many times talking about wine when we would meet up and I was probably being, I don't know, sniffy about the wine that was being served in a particular restaurant at the table. I don't know. I can't. I, anyway, so I've always loved I know wine. one. I can tell you one in particular. We were at a gala in London and someone was serving red wine. One of the waitstaff came over to serve red wine and they put it on top of ice. And that red wine should never have put on top of ice and you you shut them down right away. <laughs> so I still remember that that night very clearly. Um, yes. So that was the start point, really. And then I guess, you know, um, having worked for large organizations all my life, I just got to the point where I kind of felt like I wanted to do my own thing. And, um, you know, I had an idea. Um that was kind of, I guess, blending wine and data, as it were. Um, 
you know, I think that was that was the starting point. I think that originally we kind of kicked off as a B2C business, a platform for wine enthusiasts and collectors and the kind of end-to-end thing of, you know, ensuring that there was a, a, a whole solution for people in that world, i.e. organizing, figuring out what you have, figuring out what it's worth, and then being able to buy and sell peer-to-peer. Um, and we built a lot of the building blocks at that time around that platform. But it became pr- pretty obvious pretty early on that there was a corresponding need on the business side. And so pretty much even before we launched that platform, we'd already um, done a deal with a significant UK wine business called Corny and Barrow for managing their clients who were storing wine with them. Um, so we were kind of B2B, we kind of became B2B, or we segued into B2B pretty early and um, and have become almost exclusively B2B since then, really, over the years through the various platforms that we've released since then, one being the wine storage in the US market in particular, and then more recently, a SaaS platform for wine sort of retailers, imports and wholesalers. Okay, interesting. So then your experience, so after you left Reed, you went to Axiom. Mm-hmm. Axiom, I know you were involved in a lot of the consumer insights, the multi-channel, which we were just talking about, and leveraging the CRM platforms and technology that was coming out. So that must have, that experience there must have really helped catapult you towards this idea of the wine owner platform. Yeah, actually, in particular with with Wine Hub, the the, the SaaS platform for uh, wine wine retail, um, uh, as you say, um, you know, multi channel was 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 part of that digital explosion narrative, um, and the dream at the time at Axiom was this whole kind of combining of online behavior with offline insights to create personas or behavioral targeting models. And that and that was also struggling a little bit at the time against ethics mm-hmm. and tightening GDPR because um, you know it was it was it was pretty new um, uh, back then. I guess that we were talking about sort of around two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Okay. Um, and. Um, so multi-channel was was the thing. I guess that I took away from that experience. Um, uh, notwithstanding, the wine market is a, a long tail market. Yeah. Um, so business within it are of a completely different scale to the Fortune 500 businesses that we were working with. You know, we were yeah. working with Disney and all of those sorts yes. of guys. Um, you know, our market is super fragmented, specialist, small, much smaller. Um, and it's very traditional. Okay. So it's a market that's historically lagged other sectors in terms of adopting technology. Ah. Um, so, so yeah, so, so when we sort of were mapping out the opportunity, the needs of the business, businesses within it, and, and a lot of them were coming to us and talking about, uh, you know their their challenges their challenges in being able to find a suitable way of being able to tool up for you know the kind of the future as they were beginning to imagine it 
Um, we we therefore designed Wine Hub with multi-channel uh, and of course omni-channel in in mind. So so that was a so that's definitely you know that that experience informed how we uh, engineered how we architected the platform. Um, yeah. uh, I would say, and then the other narrative. Uh, at Axiom was around this end-to-end -end solutioning thing that we were talking about, um, um, and um, and that thinking was again very much behind what we've done. Whether whether it was originally the kind of the collector platform, which is you know you don't just basically provide seller management, you provide seller, you know you provide cataloging and seller management mm -hmm. and market valuations and mechanisms for being able to kind of do what you want to do on the buy and sell side. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, more recently, obviously, um, the same sort of thinking applies to multi-channel and how do you, how do you reach a broad addressable market? How do you segment those markets and ensure that you kind of build up your own kind of proposition, your, your product proposition in order to address, you know, those, those different segments as well. So, so, yeah. And I totally, now the companies that take the time to really analyze that information and find their specific niche and research their target audience. I'm not talking just by title and industry, but you can figure out your exact audience. That's when you can start the value creation that will really help those people to make a bond with you. You know, they'll say, oh my gosh, they get me. They understand my industry. If you're able to give them that type of value and that's when they'll stay with you forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, look, it's about, it's about how, you know, how can, how can you help a business mm -hmm. um, effectively um, take advantage of those growth opportunities and at the same time, do that in a way that's operationally efficient, you know, which means, you know, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be a really well thought through series of workflows that are supporting a, a business's ability to deliver and, you know, meet, you know, meet expectations time and again. So, And that's that time absolutely. that you put in up front that will definitely pay off in the long run. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because, from the get-go you've got happy customers you've got customers who are talking about you to to their friends to their to their networks yeah. and you're not battling that kind of leaky bucket yeah. of you know well I got it right for this particular mm -hmm. order for this person but actually that, yeah that was that wasn't great that's when you so, get onto that mm -hmm. nice sales cycle that goes up like this versus this you know if you don't work on that now, all your experience at Axiom and everything you just told me, there is that can just tell me why wine owners is doing so well, because I believe you manage an impressive number of, what is it, 2 billion, right, of inventory, 400,000? I think we might be up to about 3 billion now, actually. 3 billion. Okay. And, and I think it's... What is what is your wine reference? I I had four hundred thousand. Is it larger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least it's yes, it's, it's probably it's probably a bit bigger, but yeah, sort of four to five hundred thousand. Yeah. 
and uh, and uh, lots of wine pricing, I think, as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah. ninety million, ninety million in wine prices annually. I I did yeah. a little research on it. <laughs> drink drink drinking the Kool Aid on it. <laughs> well, you, you know, just like with my clients, if I'm doing marketing, but if I'm going to do a podcast, it's good to know about the guests, about their companies, what are they doing? And also I only have people on the podcast who are doing it in a quality fashion, whose companies are going to grow year after year, which obviously you're doing. Now with your growth, do you expect, what are some surprises or unexpected trends you've come across or you foresee for the future? Ooh, foresee for the future. That's an interesting one as well, isn't it? Um, so I think in terms of foreseeing for the future, I again, I think that we are um, entering a world where there's lots of innovation and <laughs> there are lots of sort of marketplace type sort of platforms that are emerging in different mm -hmm. markets. And, and same is true of wine. I think perhaps more in the US than elsewhere, because the US has its own challenges, regulatory challenges around distribution of alcohol. Okay. Um, so there are platforms, you know, that are specific to the US as a consequence that um, enable distribution whilst um, managing the challenge of which states one can ship into and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. Uh, but I think that that hasn't really happened in any meaningful way elsewhere. There are B2B platforms, but there hasn't really been a proliferation of B2C platforms. So I think that's going to happen inevitably. Um, so we're quite excited about that and what that might mean and the challenge that that places on um, logistics and distribution, given, you know, wine is, you know, typically in glass and heavy and, um, you know, it's not the easiest thing no. to move around. But I think that is definitely um, a global kind of thing that is is going to um, happen over the next few years i think sort of within the wine market um and and maybe maybe specifically within the fine wine market because you know that's fun and that's the bit that kind of generates column inches yeah. in the press around uh you know <laughs> kind of winers and investment and all that sort of stuff so yeah. um i think one of the most interesting things that has that has struck me recently is the is a difference between how scarcity led wine markets and volume or liquidity led wine markets behave so okay. um you know historically i guess you know wine markets where there where there's plenty of volume were the ones that kind of people kind of bought into whether sort of top champagnes or bordeaux or some of the bigger brands in the US like um, kind of Opus or Dominus or or um, you know I don't know Grange in in, yeah. in Australia um, but that's sort of changing and I think one of the reasons maybe why it's changing is that there really aren't any um, attrition models there's very little information around what you know how wine is depleting over time and so if you're in a market where there's plenty plentiful supply <laughs> there's a sort of a a fairly sort of um, um, 
uh, eternal assumption that it's always um, there's always going to be plenty of wine there exactly <laughs> whereas if you go to the other extreme and you find someone who is making tiny quantities you know up a hill somewhere um <laughs> then you kind of don't need to worry about attrition because you know if it's there's very little of it if barely any of it around um right. and so there's definitely been a bit of a trend over the last sort of handful of years towards people kind of picking those markets to buy into and they'll drink um yeah. but they'll also yeah. sort of drink happily knowing that they paid x for it and now it's worth sort of x times 10 or whatever whatever the number yeah. is um i'm sure some people buy them as investments yeah they do they do i think i think the other realization is actually though how little of the wine market is made up uh, out of speculators and investors. Okay. Thank goodness, yes. um, given that wine is there to be enjoyed, right? Um, well, plus uh, so... you can't keep it that long sometimes. You know, then when you <laughs> order that, you know, you keep it, it's so great. And then when you go to finally have it, how many years later, it's not so great anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, so... Um, uh, there's lots i'm sure i'm i'm sure there's you know there's certainly lots and lots of insights that uh, our business clients are using data to derive and obviously you know their challenges are around market pricing and figuring out what shape their inventory needs to be in and we're now in a world where you know one has physical in inventory but also the kind of concept of virtual inventories that are basically stock that actually you can borrow from other sources again depending on the uh, regulatory environment that you're in which is super helpful in being able to broaden your appeal or experiment without having to tight working capital in stock which as the kind of the wine world has globalized of course has become much more expensive um uh, to do yeah and that's interesting and i was going to ask you a question about you know geographically obviously there's got to be differences there's got to be yeah. differences but i think you've already kind of hit upon that about yeah the u.s is the big one really yeah. you know the u.s has its three-tier distribution system that dates back to prohibition and you know if, which means that you know if you're in the same tier as another business so if you're a retailer you can't really sell to another retailer right and um and and there are definitely interstate shipping challenges and then there's kind of what best practice could be in the states mm -hmm. uh around um compliance and um state of destination taxation and that sort of stuff and then kind of what actually happens um certainly at the kind of the smaller end of things uh, so are, you, whereas, are you doing a lot in the US right now? Starting to. I mean, so so our um, warehouse management software, so the, the, the platform for managing basically wine storage mm -hmm. um, is really a US, is, is really a US um, product. And we've been doing that in the US for, I guess, about eight years now, whereas um, the retail platform is pretty new into the US because we've taken our time with that in order mm -hmm. to properly understand those differences and make sure that we're able to adapt uh, to the market and perhaps provide, you know, something else 
beyond just being able to um, fit into the um, market structures over there yeah. with, you know, a view of the global market, because there are, you know, certainly in the sort of top two or three slices of the market, then, you know, people are obviously buying from uh, regions all over the world, sourcing and doing business all over the world, too. Yeah. And then do you have competitors here in the United States? Are there other companies with the exact same type of platform as yourself? Not really, no. I mean, there are in the states. There are there are lots of businesses that I would that I would sort of describe as ecom first, mm -hmm. with a kind of a heavy kind of customer experience front end and quite a thin back end, as it were. And okay. then, of course, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of investment, a lot of the noise around direct to consumer, mm -hmm. and then there's been quite a bit of investment within. Um, business to business marketplaces in the US. Um, but actually very little relative focus on mid-sized um, retail and distribution, I would say. Well, that's good. So now when we talk about value creation, and as I mentioned before, if you really know your audience, it sounds like you really have found a nice niche audience for yourself. What? Yes, I think we've. I, I think we found an, an an audience. I think we found a market which is quite different. It is quite idiosyncratic in many ways, and whereas, I guess you know, working at places like Axiom, you're taught that actually everyone thinks that their market is different. Everyone thinks that they're unique, <laughs> but actually, everyone is fundamentally pretty similar to each other. That's true. I mean, that is true at a level. Um, at a, another level, I have to tell you that uh, the business of wine and spirits is 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 quite specific. I I would say, and therefore that's great because you know you have a choice between you know the kind of the global big platforms like Microsoft or or Netsuite yeah. or whatever, and kind of bending that into wine shape, or actually buying into something that from the outset um is kind of by the industry for the industry which is very much the approach that we've taken to your earlier point and you know we were lucky enough to get uh quite a lot of businesses on board in a very short period of time after we quietly released um because we'd been networking and talking of course in that right. sort of build out period and that provided us you know with um a very strong um market voice you know informally formally through user assemblies but in one form or another we've very much been led by the market yeah see but that's what people need nowadays like when we are talking about just a crm platform for instance we're on hubspot have been since 2010 but what you've seen with technology now is everyone is branching off into their specific industries which is what we all need now is we need the technology that's specific to our audience and our industry so that we can do our jobs better. So technology Absolutely. like yours is only going to help free these people up in the wine space to do the next level, to really do that next, their job better. And then if you go and you offer them these solutions and the information they need, you know, they're going to love what you've got. And then they're going to tell their friends and their friends about it. And you're going to get more business that way. 
Well, word of mouth is key, of course. Uh, yes. And in a, in a nice tight market where everyone has, you know, come into the market for pretty much the same good reason, which is, you know, they they fell in love with the idea of it or the product or whatever. Then, yeah, there is there is a, there is a lot of um, socializing. There's a lot of um, collaboration actually that goes on between who otherwise would be competitors right well, so yeah no there's a lot of that remember when we went to the direct marketing show it would we'd all just be there and we all would share ideas and at times yes we would be competitors but sometimes we were vendors of each other but we all just really shared ideas and i strongly feel as a business if you take on more the philosophy of give offer value, like you've, you've stressed that value creation aspect to it, the sales will come in, the customers and we, and will come to you. Absolutely. And we're stronger together, you know, whether, yes. whether within an industry, you know, whether as we saw yesterday with the, uh, you know, uh, US Sino summit in, um, uh, in San Francisco, we are definitely better off together. Um, yes. And I think that, you know, the other the other sort of the other thought that occurs is that a lot of people talk, you know, and, I, and this is something that that that, that just coincidentally, I've, I've, I've kind of come across as a theme uh, over the past few months is that you know some people talk about competitive advantage being gained through leveraging technology and and mm -hmm. and I'm really not a great believer in that I think I think you're far you're far stronger if you're able to um, use a platform that's going to provide you with options and paths to growth and which is kind of you know going to work out mm -hmm. of the box and which isn't going to consume an enormous amount of money and energy and project management time and all the rest of it in trying to adapt yeah. to your market. Whereas I think competitive advantage is really all about who you are, what you're, what you set out to to be, what you set out to be in 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 respect of your addressable market and your customers within that, and then how you execute that and how you deliver value and how you consistently deliver value to people over time, and that's. That's not really about, you know, trying to shape, you know, a shiny thing that looks a little bit different to everybody else. That's no. really much more fundamental than that, I think. It is. It goes down. It's it's your core. You know who you are. You know, World Innovators, we've been around for 43 years. And yeah. when my mom founded the company, she stressed it's quality over quantity. And you're right. It's not the shiny objects or we can help you with this. It's more our clients know when they work with us, we do everything we possibly can. They can trust us and we build those relationships that last for years. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's great to have all the technology. And now with AI, come on, <laughs> we're getting hit with different technology every single day. But it's that human component still and those relationships that you build, I feel, one, it makes it more worthwhile going to work, but it will help your company grow year after year. Yeah. Yes.
Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I, I learned a lot about the wine industry, but also your platform. And it was very interesting to see your journey up until this point. We'll have to have you it's back. It's been fun. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been brilliant. It's been brilliant to see you again. And um, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, you're welcome. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the B2B Marketing Excellence Podcast. Please hit the subscribe button below so you don't miss our next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like to talk to me, please feel free to send me an email to dpeterson at worldinnovators.com. Till next time, have a great day.